My name is Erica, and welcome to the Damsel No Distress podcast. On this episode, you're going to get to meet Kelsey Trainer. She's a lawyer, producer, and writer who resides right here in New York City. She currently serves as in-house counsel for a national media company. But before this, she worked on the hit CBS series, Blue Bloods. As a two-sport collegiate athlete and former college coach, Kelsey writes for a number of publications regarding issues related to collegiate athletics, equality in sports, and more. So one, thank you for doing this. Um, I know you and I chatted a little bit um, a little while ago uh, about like, what would we talk about? And I feel like you are someone who, when I was sort of going through and thinking like, what do I want to talk about? One of the big things that have happened to me in my life, one of the things was that I guess it's been several years now. I was working in nonprofit and it became just a very emotionally heavy career for me. I realized like I was young, the people I was working with were young. I was like taking home a lot of, you know, baggage. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like I'm not someone who's going to be in like social work forever. Like I just, I'm not built for that. Um, And so I made a humongous (laughs) career change to the, to the tune of like, almost $30,000 a year difference, right. which for someone who likes stability was fucking terrifying. But I knew that like, uh, my emotional health is definitely worth that difference at, at the very least. Um, and so I was talking about this with Alana and she was like, oh, you know who you should talk to is Kelsey. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And then she gave me sort of the quick rundown that you were a lawyer or still are a lawyer and you made a sort of a big jump and career change to tv (laughs) yeah no i i was a lawyer i still am a lawyer uh and that's what i'm doing now but i left you know i did the thing where i practiced went to law school practice law blah 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 and i left my legal job uh to be an assistant in television um which is, you know, talking about a pay cut. Uh, yeah. So I moved to New York to do that. And now, I mean, it led me to every opportunity, um, you know, to be where I am now, who I'm now a lawyer in TV and film, but, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was a, it was an interesting, like, you know, one and a half year, two year period of, uh, you know, not making money and going from that, like stability and, you know, having like, I don't know, doing what you're expected to do. Right. Which is like, you know, I'd spend, I still, I still owe a shit ton of money on law school. So, (laughs) you know, like, um, so yeah, those, it was a big leap, uh, for me. What made you like, was there something, cause I feel like law is one of those things, like being a doctor, like there's a lot of school that goes into it. And so you put in the time you like pass the bar you from, and from what I understand, the bar is like, no joke. So like you, did all you did all of this what was the moment where you were like I'd rather be in TV Ooh, I mean I think probably like the reason I even went into the law is I'm adopted myself and so somebody had said I was like kind of hesitant on why I wanted to be a lawyer um so I was like not sure if I wanted to go to law school and um somebody said why don't you do adoption law and that kind of was like a trigger for me to go to law school Uh, But then my first job that summer of my first year of law school, the only one that paid and I needed to make money was not in family law. It was in civil litigation. 
Um, and so I ended up like staying in that area of, of making money because that's really, you know, nice to, to you know. <laughs> um, and so I think I just like, I enjoyed it. I was good at it. I just felt like unfulfilled, right? Like I felt content. I felt like, you know, I had a nice place in Philadelphia. I lived right on Rittenhouse Square. I had a roof pool. I had a good job, good car, good friends, all this stuff. Um, I just, there was like a part of me that lacked, uh, the ability to express or create anything. Um, and that's kind of what led me to, uh, to TV for sure. And, and just the circumstance that, that someone offered me an opportunity, uh, those combined, I was like, yeah, let me, I'm going to jump at it. You know, it's like a, why not? Ah, okay. So you went from being like the big fish to a very tiny fish in what I can only imagine on TV is like a humongous pond. Yeah, I went from like having an assistant to being an assistant. Um, and that was, that was never, you know, a problem for me. Uh, you know, my, I have a family that keeps me humble. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was just, you know, coming in into a new space where everyone has worked hard as well and they've worked their way up the, the totem pole and you know I came into I worked for the executive producer of the show and so to his credit and um he introduced me to everybody as like somebody important in his mind like he told them I was a lawyer he whatever he talked me up which is not the case for you know many assistants so people treated me well but I know that like almost every single person and they've told me this after the fact every single person thought that I was like you know, sleeping with him to get this job. <laughs> and you're like, mm, but no. <laughs> right. I'm like, you know, I have a few degrees and I'm a uh, bard in a few states that, uh, you know, I think I, I think I can do this. Doesn't mean that I've earned, you haven't, you know, I've not earned my stripes in this industry, but I've put in work and time, um, into establishing, you know, a reputation in, in one area. And so the fact that somebody could see that, that that could transfer into another one, um, you know, was helpful. That's, that's impressive. What, like, what level of, like, fear was there? Like, I know for myself, it was, like, I, there were some days in that, like, transition where I was, like, well, maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> like, oh, I know it, it can be really scary to, like, I don't want to say jump ship, but, like, jump ship on a career that you've sort of been building up and working your way up in. Yeah. I mean, it was terrifying. Like I, I definitely cried. <laughs> I mean, I, so I, I was in Philadelphia and this, this new job for, uh, for blue bloods was in New York. So I had to move to New York city, um, and get an oh. apartment and all that, you know, fun stuff. So there was that aspect of it. There was a part of like, you know, you left the career and the job that you just spent a lot of time to create. Uh, so there was the outside part of it. And then there was the part of like, what are you doing? Like, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I definitely first night in my apartment, I cried. I was terrified on set. And, you know, even afterwards, I mean, to get to where I am now, you know, I think I'm in a pretty good position, but it was a lot of, you know, betting on myself. Sometimes it didn't pay off. I mean, you know, there was a lot of times after that, you know, where I thought maybe I had made it to this point or this point. And, you know, I clearly hadn't. Um, and it was absolutely terrifying, but like there it's the, there's a word, I think it's Swedish and it's called like rest verber. And it's the, um, it's the mixture of like fear and excitement of a travels traveler's heart before a journey. And that's the way that I kind of describe it is that it's like, you know, if you're going to go on a trip, say you're going to Europe or something like that, and you're like leaving for the airport, you do have this like 
fear of like, oh my God, I'm traveling to another country. I'm doing this or this or that. I'm leaving, you know, everything behind. And, but then there's the excitement for what's to come. And that was like the anticipation that I had. Um, and it turns out there's an actual word for it. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I need to like definitely add that to my vocabulary. Maybe that can be like the title of this episode. I'm going to like <laughs> tattoo it. Yeah, I think I'm going to like tattoo it on my wrist. <laughs> I love that because you make, it makes so much sense. It's like you're excited about whatever the next thing is, but you're also like terrified of leaving the comfort of like everything that you know, even if it's not just a job, it's like a move or whatever. Um, and I feel like that it's good. You're right. It's good to know that there's like an actual word for this. Like, yeah, I don't and even it, know. I feel like there's a body gesture for that. It does. And it also like manifests itself itself into like physical embodiment, like, you know, anxiety, heartbeat, like there, the part of that word is that it's a physical, sometimes it manifests self, itself into a physical uh, symptom of that fear and excitement at the same time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. I know you just talked about, you know, sort of feeling like you had gotten to a certain level when you, I guess after Bluebuds, you, was there like rejection that you found in that industry? Cause I feel like a lot of what I know about like, and I'll say Hollywood in quotes, cause I don't know if that's just the phrase for TV or just movies or what have you, but, um, I feel like there's a lot of rejection out there in, especially in that space. Yeah, I mean, I think too, like I definitely have always from as long as I can remember had an incredible sense of self-worth and I think that comes from my mom. Um, and so I've always carried that kind of with me in everything I've done and maybe sometimes to my detriment, you know, thinking that I'm more than I am. But I think as women, we need that. Like, you know, like, and, and just, it's a, it's a confidence yeah. and it's, but it's a sense of that. I know that I'm a hard worker. I know that I, you know, have decent level intelligence and that I can do anything if I put my mind to it. Um, and so I think like having that mentality after working on Blue Bloods, which was such an incredible experience and then going out kind of on my own to produce some things. I started my own company and this or that. And it was like, almost like I overvalued myself to an extent or like of where I was at or what I could offer. Um, and so the rejection that I faced, like after that, I mean, it was, there was some really cool and fun things that I did, but then it was like, at some one point I was like, all right, I just need a job to make money. Right. Like I just need the stability that to an extent that, you know, you, you have when you have a job from nine to five or whatever the hours are. Um, and so, you know, there was one day I literally applied for the job that I have now on LinkedIn and I applied for a few other ones, um, just basic ones, just because I just wanted something to pay the bills. And I got rejected from like a front desk job at like a local gym. And they were like, you're overqualified and this or that. And I'm like, I'm sitting there like in tears because I'm like, I just need to pay my bills. Right. Like, I don't want to go back to the law yet. That's not, that's my backup plan. Like, I don't want to do that yet. I want to keep going in what I'm doing. And I got that rejection email like on a Tuesday. And then I actually went back to the set of blue bloods to just hang out with some of the people there. And I got an email from uh, the people at Dan Abrams company uh, the next day asking me to come in for, for another interview for the job that I have now, you know, which oh is God. in-house counsel and lawyer for a media company. So it was like, you know, it, it was, it was like just, the the lowest of low followed by like the highest of high 
that's, that's amazing. But I also love that the people at the gym were like, no, no, you are too overqualified to answer the phone and like right. welcome people. I don't. I was like, like, what if that's the, what if that's what I want? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what if that's my, my dream? Right. What if I want that job so that I could go do whatever I want at night? I don't know. It was <laughs> devastating. That's all I can say is that it was like, it was tough. Um, and it was ha had to do with that rejection or that I had this sense of self-worth and, and value of like what I could bring to any table. Um, and just, you know, not feeling like I had the connections or somebody out there like helping me kind of make that happen. Um, but then it also made the, like the victory of kind of where I'm at now feel a little bit sweeter because it feels like I did it not on my own, obviously, because so many people helped me along the way, but just like, you know, that it, it, a lot of it did have to do with me. I love that. As you're talking about having this like self-worth and I just remember when we chatted before you were like, yeah, you have to have the like, oh, what did you say? Oh, the confidence of a mediocre white man. And I was like, girl, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I need that on like a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, a tote bag everywhere. Because you're right, so many women, and I do this, I do this all the time, um, like we'll look at a job description and we're like, oh, you know, I only have three of the 10 things. So I definitely shouldn't apply. They'll never look at me. Whereas like a, a guy will say, oh, I've got one of them. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Let me apply. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I try to literally walk through every single day of my life with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Uh, because I just feel that, I mean, one, I'm obviously, I think I'm above a mediocre white man. Uh, but in terms of that, that confidence level, it's like, you know, as women, we are just so often like, we just don't go for it. And it's like, you know, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I shoot my shot. You know, I mean, it's sometimes it does work out <laughs> yeah I mean it's but, one of those things like you gotta you gotta shoot it you know like it's it, my mom always used to tell tell me like you know if you don't ask you're, you're already telling yourself no she's like the worst someone can say is no and I'm right. like oh okay and even now as an adult like she used to say that to me like as like 10 11 years old and now at 35 I still have moments where I have to tell myself okay you just have to do it or you have to ask the question because if you don't, it's definitely a no, but it's like, and I think part of it is being a woman and like the society we live in is always having that fear of like, well, they're going to say no, I'm going to get rejected or I'm going to feel silly because I asked. And I'm like, I guess I've gotten to the point where I'm like, eh, if I look silly, I look silly, but at least I, you know, asked the question. Yeah. And it's like, it's also like, man, like I've heard no a lot. And like, it sucks every single time. Like, I'm not going to say it ever, like, gets easier. Um, but the more you do it, it's just like, all right, I've heard it before. This is what it feels like. I, I just have to have the confidence to just keep going and keep going because one of these times it's going to turn into a yes. And that's like, that's what anything. I mean, how many times have you heard of no in life in general, not with just with work, but with relationships or family or friends or anything like that? It's like, you know, you just got to shoot your shot. You know, sometimes I, I, I airball, you know, and Alana can, uh, <laughs> anyone on the, in the, on my basketball team can maybe attest to that. Um, but you know, other times it's just a straight, straight bucket, you know, bucket getter. I, I love it. In the time and like, just thinking about like your whole sort of transition. Cause I feel like 
someone out there needs to hear that like the the leap that they want to take that they're nervous about they just need to go because something good will come out of it um was there anything that you like did or listened to or read that you were like re that really stuck with you or even i don't know i just always think everybody that i've met that has had like a big leap is like oh i read this book or i listened to this ted talk thing i don't know I always just love knowing what, how people get through those weird, dark, terrifying moments. I think, I mean, one, I think being an athlete, I just like look at all of the athletes that like I kind of admire um, and see what they say. And so, I mean, I probably read a few books. I know I've read some books about uh, like really Buddhist books that I've been like reading now. And I, and I know that I've, I've been rereading them. Um, but just like about like not having, so many highs or so many lows and kind of remaining balanced. And that's kind of where I found myself in that moment of like, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that I fail. And have I failed before? Absolutely. Will I fail again? Yes. My backup plan is that I'm a lawyer. It's a pretty good backup plan. <laughs> I love that that's your plan B. You're like, you know, I guess if everything else goes to shit, I'll just go back to being a lawyer. Like, right. But I think like, probably subconsciously I, I, I did that. And I, I made sure that I put myself in a position that anything I wanted to do in life at the end of the day, I could support myself. Right. Cause being a lawyer, like, you know, you don't have to work for a firm. You don't have to work for a fear doctor. You don't have to work for a hospital or anything like that. I could practice on my own. I could go out and take, you know, 25 clients and people always need lawyers. Um, so that was something I think I, I probably did subconsciously is that I wanted to set myself up that anything that I wanted to do, I could. Um, and, you know, that my backup plan would not be that I was scrambling. Um, although, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go to my backup plan for, for a while and I <laughs> did end up scrambling and, you know, with, with a few credit card bills. <laughs> uh, Wait, so now that you're back, you're back sort of in law, but I guess, yes, in law. So I know you said you started out wanting to do adoption law. Like, is that something you could see yourself doing down the road? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just like hard to, there's law is so nuanced and there's so many different like practice areas that um, like, I, I know nothing about it. I mean, I, I could research it, figure it out, but like, you know, they call it the practice of law for a reason because it takes time and you actually have to practice it. Um, and so I think eventually I'll get into that, but I really am enjoying what I'm doing right now because even though I am the lawyer for a company, I'm also business development. So I do get that ability to like be creative and we produce shows and we get to go out and pitch new shows and ideas and, um, you know, it's in the creative space. So I'm kind of in the best of both worlds. You know, I get to be on that creative development end of TV and film and content. Um, and storytelling, but then I also like feel useful, right? Like that I'm offering something that, you know, maybe nobody else in the company can because I have a law degree and I can, you know, do certain things. Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting place to be in. And it's, you know, uh, when I say I'm back in the law now, it's, it's, it's in like the best possible scenario that I could have possibly imagined, you know, Aside from like being like a CEO of some, you know, major content company. <laughs> Let me guess, that's the backup to the backup. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, someday I'll own my own production company, you know, just like Ava, but whatever. I love it. That's the goal. <laughs> um, 
this might sound so weird. Okay, so one, I wanna, I don't know, apologize. I have never seen Blue Bloods. I've seen commercials for it and it looks amazing. I'm not gonna lie. And I'm really glad this is virtual and we're not doing it in person. So you can't like throw anything at me. But I have always been a Law and Order SVU girl. But what was, do you have like a favorite moment while you were on Blue Bloods? Because I feel like if you're on TV, there's gotta be something that happens and you're just like, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, first of all, who isn't an SVU fan? Like, let's be real. Let's just throw that out there. I mean, Blue Bloods, like, we, we they would joke in the writer's room. It's, like, the reason it's, like, the number one rated show on Friday nights is because people watch the 9 o'clock show and they fall asleep by the 10 o'clock show and they just keep the TV on. So it's, it's a it's an older audience, I would say. <laughs> a lot of the over 60 club. Everyone's mom loves Blue Bloods. Let's just put it that way. Um, Tom Selleck has that appeal, I think, for people. Love um, Tom Selleck. Yeah. So, but I think probably the coolest moment or part of Blue Bloods, I mean, obviously, like being on set is just like, I don't know. I sit, I would sit there sometimes and be like, this is not my life, right? Like Tom Selleck, Donnie Wahlberg are just chilling. Um, but I actually got to go to Donnie's uh, 50th birthday party at his house in Chicago. And, uh, it was just crazy. D nice was DJing it. And yeah. And he had a, um, he had a tattoo artist there and I got a tattoo in his shed at like two or 3 AM. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Some other people from the show. Um, yeah, that was probably like just the, the wildest, coolest moment for me where I was like, man, how did I get here? Like wh what, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have a question though. And was it like a group tattoo? Like, do you all have the same tattoo? Like a besties forever, like blue bloods and like a heart? <laughs> um, no, I would. So, so one of the other act actors on the show got one and then another uh, producer's uh, wife got one. And we were kind of like the little three musketeers there, like hanging out together, kind of what people watching at this, this party. And, um, we each got one on our wrist. I got one actually, it says one, four, three, um, one letter and I, four in love and three in you. And my mom has said it to me since the day I was born or came home, from, came, was adopted. Um, and so I literally texted her at two or 3 a.m. And I was like, can you write down one, four, three? <laughs> and she wrote it down. And my tattoo artist was probably a little bit drunk. Um, and he wrote it, <laughs> he, he did it. And then, so they all got something like a little bit meaningful to them. And then by the time I got back, I flew back from Chicago, came back from New York to Philadelphia, like a week later. And when I got out of the, the, off the train, my mom picked me up. She had went and got a one for three tattoo in the same exact spot. Oh my God. That is okay. I did not see <laughs> that being where that story was going. That is the sweetest, cutest thing I have ever heard in my whole life. And because Alana and I both have a good number of tattoos, I almost feel like now the expectation will be that Leo also gets a cute tattoo with us because, oh my God. Right? And my mom is like against tattoos, always has been, like blah, blah, blah. And I think like I kind of convinced her to like do it before this, but I was at Donnie's birthday party. I wasn't not going to get a tattoo. Like to me, that was just like a no brainer and it was free. <laughs> So she, so she was like, well, when I got out of the car, she's like, well, I couldn't let you outdo me. So I had to go and get my own tattoo. I just love that she went and did it by herself. So now we have like little matching tattoos. Oh my God. She sounds like an amazing lady. 
she's nuts. She's absolutely <laughs> nuts. She's like five foot one or two and like 90 pounds. She's the tiniest, nuttiest, most energetic human ever. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I love that so much. Like having her as a mom, how do you think that that has helped you like in, in your career, in your life? Like give us, give us a scoop on mom. Yeah. I mean, mom, it, she, uh, she's one of 16 kids. Um, what? yeah. So there's just, a wow. Whole, yeah. So has always been a go-getter. I mean, she was a gym teacher in the, uh, the city of Philadelphia for 25 years and, uh, also a real estate agent. So just to give you a kind of idea of who she was, is that she earned the top, uh, she was the top realtor in the city of Philadelphia for a year when she only worked part-time because she was teaching school during the day. So wow. she was just like a go-getter and always independent, like owned three homes by the time she was like 29 years old. Wow. She's like full on goals. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think just seeing her always be so like, you know, independent and just badass. I mean, like I've just, I've never not, like I've never not thought uh, well of myself. And I've always, I always, I'd said her that there's never a day in my life that I didn't feel like I was like loved or adored. Um, so, and I know not a lot of people have that. So, um, I think, I mean, everything, I mean, who I am in terms of like believing in myself or thinking that I could do something like leave the wall and go to television, you know, and even the moments when I failed after that, you know, who was there to help me out or, you know, look at me while I'm crying uh, and say, now, Kels, uh, what are we going to do here? <laughs> um, oh. But her, yeah. So she's awesome. Um, you know, she's, she's wild. I don't, I wish I had a tenth of her energy and I would just be crushing it right now. <laughs> she sounds amazing. Um, that's super cool. Like, I'm a huge fan of my mom as well. So I love a good, I love a good mom story. And I feel like I wish we had the ability to meet our moms when they were like our age. Cause I would right. love to know if they were the same as they are now, just like with maybe grayer hair. Right. Um, but I always think about like, I've been reading a lot of different things and like a lot of women have been talking about like imposter syndrome and all this. And I think when you think about like our moms and their generation, I'm kind of like, was that a thing? Was it a thing? And there was just no name. Because I feel like a lot of my friends' moms, and my mom included, all, at least the way that we know them now, are very big advocates of like, nah, just, my mom used to tell me all the time, just fake it till you make it. Right. And I'm like, for me, I'm like, that seems like a positive. I'm like, okay, just, you can do it, you can do it until you can actually do it. And so then I was like reading about it and I'm like, hmm. Like, is imposter syndrome the same as faking it until you make it? <laughs> and so have you dealt with that? Like, I don't know. Oh. Am I alone oh, yeah. in this? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 for sure. I mean, like one, I mean, I don't think if my mom, I don't think she probably would have hang out. She's told me that like, I can't hang with her, right? Like at her, at, she's like, Kelsey, at your age, I was doing this, 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 and this. And I'm like, listen, I could not have hung out with you and you were, I was your age or you were my age, whatever, because I just wouldn't have done it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, in terms of like, that's kind of how I do everything is fake until I make it. It's like a bravado, right? Like, yeah, it's not there. It's not real, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's that self-worth and equipping myself with tools of like walking into a room, you know, I'm in the wall in Hollywood. It's just all men. 
right? So anytime, anywhere that I've worked, it's just been men. And so you, it's, it is noticeable when any room you walk into, it's just a bunch of white dudes. Um, and so you do feel that kind of sense of like loneliness in that position of like, you know, who can I relate to? Who can I talk to? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and it is, it's just like absolutely faking that confidence, you know, whereas I'm absolutely terrified. And I definitely have that imposter syndrome, but like I check myself on it. Cause it's like, no, 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 you deserve to be here. And that's when I like remember to myself, have the confidence of a mediocre white man because all of those mediocre white men in this room would be absolutely crushing it without the qualifications that I have, you know, because of that bravado, because of that confidence. Yeah, it's, I like that you bring up like, being sort of the only woman in the room. I was, when I was putting this whole like list of things I wanted to talk to people about, that was something that kept coming up for me time and time again, like being the only, whether it's being the only like person of color in a room or being the only woman in a room, like what that feels like and, you know, how do you get over that? And it's just interesting to hear that it's, it's everywhere. And I'm pretty sure I knew that in the law, that was a big, that was going to be a big thing. Oh. I had a judge. I mean, every, I was, I clerked for a judge in Philadelphia and my intern was like the six foot, you know, young white kid. And, um, I would walk into court and all the attorneys would walk up to him and shake his hand and they would just look at me. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm the one with the law degree here. Right. And I'm the one that's passed the bar. This kid is like, you know, 22 years old. Right. And has no idea what he's doing, but go ahead and shake his hand. That's fine. They yeah, would like do his that. job is to bring the boxes. Like. Right. And it's like the disrespect was just there. I had a judge like pinch my cheeks in the courthouse once. Right. What? I said, I said, absolutely not. Absolutely. Oh, no. it, yeah. So it's just like, it, it's just, it's the absolute worst. But like, I think the other side of that is that like, I know that, you know, in so many places when you are the only person in the room, it's like, oh, there's this competitiveness or this cattiness, but I think I found, and I don't know if it's just with like my generation or if it's with the younger generation or the older generation, but I've just found that people are, especially women, um, it, it's not there, that cattiness, that competitiveness is not there. There's more of like a kinship of like, let's support each other. Like we've got each other. Um, and, you know, obviously you have a lot with like the Me Too stuff happening of, of women coming forward with certain things. And I'm hoping that trend continues because I just don't have time for it. You know, I, I, it takes me, my job is hard and it takes me a lot to do it and I don't need to deal with any of the other stuff uh, as well. And so it's, it is nice, even though there's not as many women in the room or women of color in the room, it's, you know, when you find those people, you're cling to them and you're like, let's be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> you meet and in the first five seconds you're like hi we are going to be friends that's how I met that's how I met Carrie Ann who introduced me to Alana is that I had I met them out with like you know the whole crew that whoever was out and Carrie Ann comes up and she's a lawyer and I'm like oh, a lawyer in New York City I need lawyer friends right and I, I looked at Carrie Ann I was like you're gonna be my friend and she was like, well, blah, blah. And for some reason, it's like 2020, right? I gave her my card instead of like just asking for her number or her email or anything like that. And I was like, we're going to be friends. Please email me. <laughs> and like two days later, she emailed me and we've been friends ever since. But like, oh I was God. like, and to this, I mean, she's just to this day, she's like incredible in terms of like, 
friendship in life, but also like legally, like it's so nice to have women who are lawyers who work in your area and this and that, because it's tough. It absolutely sucks. Yeah. It's like you found, you, you found your, your team. Yes. But I love that you just said, this is my card. You email me and we're best I friends. I did. I did. <laughs> and then I think it was preceded by like Sue giving us all fireball shots, which was a mistake. And I mean, I definitely Ubered home on a Sunday, Monday morning at like 2 a.m. That's fine. But I like that, like finding your, your, your team or your group. This might sound weird. And I think the older I get, the more I realize that like, there are a lot of women in my life and I feel very lucky for that. I mean, I think a big part of it is being a lesbian. Like you just are naturally (laughs) surrounded by more women. (laughs) Like when both halves of your marital equation are women, you just naturally have more women around. Um, But in trying to sort of go through all of my different careers that I've been in, finding women who are doing the same thing and who I feel like I can relate to has been really helpful. And even now, especially in like 2020 with like there being, you know, I was in live events and now there's not really live events. Like it's not really a thing. Still being able to reach out to all the women that I know and be like, whether it's just talking and shooting the shit and being like, how are you? What is happening? Oh, 2020. Or even saying, Hey, Oh, I saw this job. I thought it would be super cool for you. And like that kind of thing. Um, So I, I agree. I'm a big fan of women helping women. I think it's it, it it's like I, I saw a quote somewhere that's gonna be sound cheesy, but like it's I think women and and good friends and good women like they save you from like the depths of despair sometimes, you know, and they pick you up and whether it's friends and um, but yeah, when you can find like that tribe of women who just really like understand and support, it's I mean it's it's worth its weight in gold and it's it's worth more than anything you could ever buy um because it's so important oh so true and if and if I didn't have a good tribe I would have never met you so see there it is right exactly (laughs) look at this tribe here (laughs) no but I love it because now it's like okay now I've met you and now I feel like I can add you and like you know it, it just allows you to sort of extend who who is sort of under your umbrella and who is yeah. part of your, your tribe. And, and I feel like I really appreciate that, especially as someone who's, I mean, I've lived in New York now for, oh, I think like 12 years. That feels like a long time now that I've just said that out loud. <laughs> That's all I say. But I moved around a lot um, sort of after college. And so for me, it was like finding a place, like every time I would go to a new location, I'd be like, okay, I need to find people. Right. I'm just that. That's just how I am, I guess. Yeah. And then to come to New York, I have a a friend who I met and sort of did something very similar. I didn't give her a card, but (laughs) I walked and was like, you look like you played basketball. I used to play basketball. We should be friends. And (laughs) I will say the the basketball squad is like probably the the, the most life-saving crew people out there. I don't know what it is, but like, it is. And it's, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, Carrie Ann or, or certain other friends, if they tell me that a person is good by them, that's it. Done. We're good. Yeah. We're, you're in. That's it. I don't need yeah. anything more. And I think that's what's like finding your tribe of, and expanding it is like, you know, um, you just, you know, you meet, again, you know, you meet people and it's like, 
great. Now we're in, let's go. Like what, you know, what do we have to do next? Oh, I forgot. I wanted to ask you one last question. Looking back at like everything you've gone through with jobs and changes and even like being adopted, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 10 year old self? Oof, man, that's a, that's a, a gut punch right there. Um, I think that I would give it to my 10 year old self and I'll give it to myself now is um, to be kinder to myself. Oh. And that's it. I mean, it's, there's a, I know we talked about, uh, there's a book by Pima Chandran that's called um, When Things Fall Apart. And it talks about this Buddhist principle of, I think it's called Matri but it's showing a loving kindness internally, you know, the same way that you would never talk poorly to a friend. It's never to having that inner voice in your head, talking poorly to yourself about yourself. Um, so I would tell my 10 year old self that I would tell, you know, her to just be kind to herself to not, you know, look at her body or anything about her and think that it wasn't like, you know, freaking awesome. And I tell myself the same thing of like, you know, be kind to yourself and less judgmental of yourself. I like that. That is, whew, if we could all do that, the world would be a much better place. Someone, someone said it to me the other day. I was like complaining about something. It was a lot was happening. And they were like, man, Cal, it's just like, be kind to yourself. And I like got emotional at that because I was like, okay, all right, I will. Like, you know, like that reminder was just, you know, it was a lot. And so now I say it to myself and it makes me emotional, <laughs> you know, to just to be kind to yourself of, of anything that's happening, you know? Um, but yeah, that's it. I love it. I yeah. love it. What would you say? I'm going to flip the switch oh, here. You know, what's so funny. You were the first person to ask me that. Um, <laughs> I think I would tell myself just to be brave, be braver like to not let things that I perceive as too much or too big, they're, they're not like, just go be your brave, be braver for yourself. And you know, when that door opens, be brave enough to walk through it. And no matter whether it's a relationship or a job or whatever on the other side. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to take yeah. that advice. I'm going to take it for myself. Yes. Take that advice. Be braver. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I was going to say, I feel like it's one of those things you just have to keep. It's like the thing we all tell, would tell our 10 year old self. We have to keep telling our like 25, 35, 45 year old selves. It's just like you keep having to have that conversation with little you. It's a lifelong journey. Right. Cause I mean, like when you think of yourself, do you think of yourself as a 30, 35 year old woman? No, you still think of like your internal dialogue is still like, you know, a younger version of you that you're like, man, how did I get so old? Girl, you have, <laughs> I looked at myself the other day. I was like, what? I'm mm -hmm. third. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Uh, but thank you so much for just coming on and giving us all your good insight. And when, in, I feel like when in doubt, just have the confidence of a mediocre white man. Like that's what I'm taking from this. Listen, if I can impart anything on anybody in this world, it is to walk through life with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And don't stop, you know, don't pass go, don't collect $200, just keep on going.